when I read this line in the book I picked up this morning, Ajahn Menendez's book, Alert to the Needs of the Journey. <clears throat> and I read the line, we are not obliged to react. And that's just such a good topic <laughs> for my own practice and, and possibly for one or two of yours as well in these times. You know, obviously it applies always, but uh, in these last few weeks especially, not uh, a lot of occasions for watching how I automatically want to react in an unwholesome way, you know, going down a path that's not in line with wholesomeness, you know, just to my thoughts. Um, and what's lovely to remember is that these these feelings that give rise to thoughts that are unwholesome to follow, they're just habits. They're just, um, it, it's, it's natural for us to feel uh, a sense of indignity or, or, or want to blame others or wish somebody harm because they're in our view and in reality they're causing a lot of harm to others you know these are these are unwholesome and natural you know instinctively in the human realm you know we're we're animals to some degree until we mature out of or are able to mature to a level where we have space around our instinctual uh, knee-jerk reactions to protect or to gain or to survive whatever you know it's natural in the human realm in the in in this world and uh, you know, and that's the current we we go down until we take hold of and mature in a practice that allows us to have space around our instinctual, habitual, animalistic, uh, you know, ways of responding to danger or um, benefit. Um, so when we have space, then we can, around our natural reactions, then we can reflect, you know, pause, accept the thoughts that go through the natural knee-jerk reaction to fight, flight, grab, <laughs> reflect on that and choose whether or not that's the path that we want to follow. Is that the current we want to go down? You know, the Buddha gave us teachings that allow us to turn around and go in the opposite direction, going against this current, against the stream.
And so to our benefit. One of the things that we can't do is see what, how, we don't know how to turn. We don't see the option to not follow our feelings, uh, our natural knee-jerk animalistic reactions, unless we have some space, you know, around these feelings. You know, most of us, uh, something that Ajahn says in this book, I'll read this little bit from him in a minute, but one of the things he says in here is, you know, most people, unfortunately, believe they are their feelings and their thoughts and their emotions and their moods, which means they don't have a choice. And the Buddha is teaching us that we do. We can actually stay present and honest with what we're feeling, not reject them. They're just, and that's, you know, it's, it's that animal uh, part of us that we can transcend. And, and uh, so not believing in our feelings and our thoughts, not proliferating around them and deciding how to move forward. What's our next best step to protect me from losing what I've gained or not getting what I want um, or getting what I don't want. You know, just instead, just feeling this, being honest. This is what I feel. Um, very, give you a Jameson story again. <laughs> um, Jameson, five-year-old, I mean, four-year-old uh, grandson. We don't get to see him very much right now, but uh, we did get a, a, an opportunity uh, to walk him down to a local, from his house, a local um, donut shop. It's called Pips. And if, you, if you've never been to Pips, they're really good donuts. They're a little round, they're very tiny. Uh, donuts and then there's a variety of types and this is Jameson's this is very special for Jameson to get to go and have donuts so Alistair and I grant he's known as Grantan to the grandchildren Grantan and Nana decided that uh, agreed with his mothers that uh, we could walk him down there as long as we stayed outside didn't and uh, wore masks we can hang out with him for a couple of hours so we did walked him down to the little donut shop. And I'm very much enjoying the how excited and happy and talkative he is because he gets to do this. And uh, and so we, we all buy donuts. Now again, they're very small, so we each got four. So we bought a dozen and we each got four and we found it was pouring down rain. We found a, a place with a, a covering with some seats in it, we went and sat there and started eating the donuts. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a greed type and I'm just super enjoying, these are delicious donuts and I'm really enjoying the donuts and I'm enjoying that we are doing this with Jameson and that he gets the thrill of eating these donuts with Nana and Grantan. And so Alistair and I, gobbled up our donuts and Jameson only ate one. And uh, I was just like, part of me, I was noticing part of me was like, 
worried that why isn't he eating he was he was clearly having a good time but part of me wanted to encourage him to you know i kept saying oh which one of these would you like next and then i started <laughs> i started teasing him that you know if you don't eat these grandpa's probably going to eat them and i'm doing everything i can to try to get him to eat the donuts because i want that satisfaction that you know we've done a good thing and he really likes this and why aren't you eating the donuts <laughs> so i noticed this but i'm feeling disappointed uh, and this is not leading to this doesn't feel good to me and he's having a blast granddad's having a blast and i'm worried about why the heck are you eating these donuts <laughs> you know and that i mean this is such a simple example but and th but this is our way of practicing until we that with these simple examples these tiny little indications that we're off we're off this is a beautiful moment enjoy this moment be present with this child you know so so seeing that i just kind of giggled and let it go and then sure enough grandten ate the donuts <laughs> And and Jameson was thrilled that he could share his donuts with Grandan. And yes, Nana noticed that I was not offered one of his donuts. <laughs> and again, I just had to giggle. It's like, okay, there's the habit. There's I have a deep habit of grabbing, gravitating toward joy, gravitating toward beauty, gravitating toward, you know, having fun and uh but that gravitation wasn't leading me Gra holding on to that desire to be gratified even in a beautiful moment holding on to that started to lead me astray and when we can accept that this is what we're doing and be honest with ourselves on what we're oh, going off here there's me grabbing at an idea of how to be happy you know when we can accept that we're doing this the, the world opens up it, it opens up to us to see oh back let's go back i've i'm i'm starting to go down the stream following my feelings and my ideas around how to secure more of this good feeling that's that's going down the current of the animal realm and then but when and we have to be able to have the confidence to accept that this is what we're doing be honest with our truth with ourselves that this is what we're doing so that we can transcend oh that doesn't this is not feeling good turn back toward the reality of there's the current I'm not going to follow it so what am i going to do the first thing is not react because my reactions will just go down down the current okay and as soon as we choose not to react we're providing ourselves a space and we're facing in the other direction we're facing toward reality and truth instead of the delusional world of instinct well, Okay, and, and it only takes a second, or even less. It takes a 
a mind moment, I think. <laughs> so, you, so now we find ourselves, we have space, I'm accepting, oh, there's that habit. Here's, here's the habit. It's the habit. It's not me, actually. So if I have to sit in a, if I have to declare a me, I'm going to declare it in being aware of truth. What is truly going on right now? Oh, there's a habit going through me that of a current that I'm not wishing to follow. If not to follow it means not reacting. Not reacting and accepting that this current is going through is being present. Being present with reality. Okay. As soon as we do that, the world opens up. And we can see what the next wise step is. The wise step being responding to the reality of the situation, to the realness. Here's this lovely laughing little child sharing donuts with Grandan. Oh, there's a feeling you didn't give me one. Oh, that was so sweet that he offered them all to Grandan. And he gobbled them, gobbled them up so fast. You know, and off, <laughs> and off we went to, you know, another hour of oh, playing in the park in the pouring down rain. You know, it was really, it was really quite lovely. So having shared that little example with you, let me read this bit from Ajahn Menendo. And I want to encourage people, when I read this, I started to come up with all sorts of <laughs> memories, all sorts of little things that I could relate to. Oh, that sounds like I remember I did something like that. And, and just watch for that and, and give yourself some space around it if that comes up for you, not a big deal. But if anything comes up for you that, oh, yeah, I did that once, give yourself space. And then know in that space, and being honest with, oh, this doesn't feel good. I remember that. That's okay. It's just a memory. It's just a, it's, you know, it's a, it, don't flow down that current. And flowing down that current means starting up all sorts of stories about what it means about you. It doesn't mean anything. Get back in the present. You'll find the space. That means you're facing in the right direction. You're going against the current. So, Ajamanindo. Um, one thing he says, it's off the, it's not part of what the piece that I'm going to read, but there's just this lovely statement just before this on the other page says, just as all beings long to be free from suffering, so our hearts long to know truth. Just as all beings long to be free from suffering, so our hearts long to know truth. One of the very important insights meditation can give us, even early on in practice, is that all activity of our minds is not who and what we are. We don't have to have been meditating for years to see this. It is tragic that most people believe they are just the activity of their minds, their thoughts and their feelings, and hence, hence the turmoil of their lives. But once we get a sense of the space within which all this activity is taking place within, or the silence out of which all the inner sounds are arising, we naturally start to relax. 
we begin to see that none of this activity is ultimate. None of it. Not the agreeable, nor the disagreeable. Not the acceptable, nor the unacceptable. This insight gives us an altogether different perspective, a whole new way of relating to life. Now, when disagreeable sense objects impinge upon our senses, we can study the process. We are not obliged to react. One year, during a period of monastic retreat here at Harnham, we made an exception and allowed a visitor to join us. We are, not, we are usually rather protective of these periods of structured silence. But on this occasion, there was a good reason to make an exception. It turned out that this guest was particularly noisy, and I started having regrets. But I recall one afternoon as we were sitting together in the hall, a brief instant that affirmed the point we are considering here. I was sitting facing the shrine as I usually do during these retreats. The hall was quiet and silent. Anyone who had moved during the um, sitting would do so carefully and quietly, but not this guest. What happened on that occasion, however, turned out to be a gift. In the midst of the silence, there came a loud clunk as the guests moved the meditation stool off to the side and onto the wooden floorboards. As it happened, at that moment, I had enough preparedness, enough mindfulness, enough sense restraint, restraint to be able to catch what was about to happen before it happened. The sound of the stool hitting the floor was the sound of the stool hitting the floor. I couldn't stop that, but significantly, I noticed that I didn't have to follow the inclination to react with annoyance. I had a choice whether or not to follow the inclination. It was a very brief moment, but with beneficial consequences in such a situation, if we remain abiding with quiet watchfulness, the mind does not become disturbed. That doesn't mean we cease feeling what we feel. We feel what we feel, but with greater accuracy, because the mind is unperturbed. Our discernment faculties are unobscured and available to serve the situation according to what is skillful. This applies similarly when agreeable sense objects impinge upon our senses. We can study the process, but we are not obliged to react. When the pleasurable feelings are um, when the pleasurable feelings which are associated with caring appear, if we are prepared, if we have a good enough level of skill in using these spiritual tools, we will sense the space around those feelings and see that we have a choice to abandon abiding as awareness and follow the feelings or feel the feelings fully and allow wisdom and compassion to determine any action. We should bear in mind that what we are aiming for is a good enough level of skill. We don't have to be a champion cyclist who wins the Tour de France. It is good enough to have the skill needed to enjoy a gentle cycle ride through the countryside. Being overzealous in our investigation obscures the subtlety that is required. This level of investigation is more refined, more subtle, than most of us would have um, been used to. Previously, when we're faced with a question like, is it possible to care without creating more suffering? We would likely have reverted to a coarse level of thinking, a kind of internal verbal dialogue. 
Now we are investigating in a feeling way. Contemplative inquiry is feeling inquiry. This is not saying we are merely looking into feelings, although it could include that. Rather, it means we are working with a, fa a facility for feeling into and around the activity in our hearts and minds, an inquiry that takes place without thinking. This probably isn't a faculty, a facility we would have been taught at school. This way of functioning is not generally available without disciplined attention. And here the discipline we are talking about is grounded in the self-respect that comes with living a life of integrity. With this upgraded set of tools, we are now equipped to meet the really challenging question life offers us with confidence and unapologetic interest. If nobody else is interested in the questions which our heart is asking, it doesn't matter. We all have our own questions, our own personal conundrums, and it is these precious questions that have the power to awaken us. Though we must keep reminding ourselves of it, we are no longer interested in simply appeasing the pain that life's troubling questions generate. Now we are interested in learning the skill of receiving these questions so that they show us a way to be free. We are not conjuring up just another concept which counters or replaces one fixed mental position with another. We are not arguing with ourselves until we agree to believe in some mental construct. Mental arguments are powerless when it comes to opening the doorway to the inner dimensions in which we feel free to feel whatever we feel without being obstructed by those feelings. Back to our original question, is it possible to care without clinging? The Buddha and our teachers cared completely with all their hearts, holding nothing back because they knew, they know reality. Their understanding meant that they could afford to give themselves to caring fully. They had been beyond all doubt that clinging is not necessary and suffering is not an obligation. So instead of asking whether it is possible to care without clinging, we should be asking whether we can be here quickly enough to catch the clinging before it happens. It is the preparedness that matters. I thought that was really lovely. And given our times of so much suffering in our worlds right now and for myself and likely for many if not all of us the opportunities for reacting in an unwholesome way wishing you know the slightest harm on another person because of their unskillful or horrendous or evil acts is adding to the suffering and pointing us down a current that has no end to its suffering. So when we can be honest that these things come up in us, honest with our feelings of, oh, there's a wish for revenge on that person. Notice that that is the same current 
that this person who are wishing for revenge or something bad to happen, some kind of suffering to happen to this person, notice that's what that's a habit that led to this person, that person's ability to do the evil that they do today, to do the harm that they do today by following that current. You know, if we can catch it without reacting to it and be present for the reality and the honesty of this is the human realm. This is the animal part, the instinctual part. It's natural. This is what it feels like. I'm not going to react to it. I'm not going to take action. In this stillness, we provide space around our feelings, which means there's some distance there from identifying with it. And in this space, we are going in the other direction. We are transcending that current. We are not moving down it. We are, we are still within the current. And in this stillness, we can employ the thinking mind to what is the next best step, staying in the heart so that we can feel what, what comes up when we think about the next step. What comes up in my heart as I'm staying still and not reacting to, why didn't I get a donut from Jameson? <laughs> I can feel that when I say it. <laughs> Why didn't I get a donut? There's space around that now. When we have that space and don't react, then the heart just is so happy. You know, it's joyful. And then we know, we'll know what the next step is. You know, because now we're, we're in the moment and we're, we're not obstructed by our feelings, but we're honest with them.